The ACB Braille Forum, Volume 58, September 2019, Number 3. Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Tom Hanold in the recording studio of the Perkins Library. Be a part of ACB. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the national office at 1-800-424-8666. Contribute to our work. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention Treasurer, ACB, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB by the combined federal campaign, use this number, 11155. Check in with ACB. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection 24-7 at 1-800-424-8666 or read it online. Listen to ACB reports by downloading the MP3 file from www.acb.org or call 605-475-8154 and choose option 3. Tune in to ACB Radio at www.acbradio.org or by calling 605-475-8130. Learn more about us at www.acb.org. Follow us on Twitter at at ACBNATIONAL or like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-C-O-U-N-C-I-L-O-F-T-H-E-B-L-I-N-D-O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L. Copyright 2019, American Council of the Blind. Eric Bridges, Executive Director. Sharon Lovering, Editor. 1703 North Beauregard Street, Suite 420, Alexandria, Virginia, 22311. Table of Contents President's Message by Dan Spoon Let's Get Connected by Cindy Van Winkle ACB Board Approves Vision and Core Values Statements, Endorses Constitutional Amendment, Looks at Code of Conduct Policy Draft by Deb Cook-Lewis Looking Back at Rochester and Ahead to Schaumburg by Janet Tickleman. Mega News from the Mini Mall by Carla Rushevel. Walmart and Sam's Club set standard for providing accessible prescription labels across U.S. ACB Radio Holiday Auction, The Fun Begins by Carla Rushevel. Transportation, The Journey Continues by Ron Brooks. A Committee for All Things Transportation and Mobility by Barbara Salisbury. Sharing the Roads by Marsha J. Wick. VW Bug to the Rescue by Dr. Ronald E. Milliman.
Self-Driving Cars and Date Night by Ron Brooks. Access to Amtrak, Making America's Rails More Accessible by Claire Stanley. Transit Tales. Affiliate News. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666, or via email, slovering at acb.org. Give her the information, and she'll make the changes for you. Keep up with the most important ACB news and announcements without any other chatter. Subscribe to the ACB Announce Listserv. Send a blank email to announce subscribe at acblists.org or visit www.acblists.org slash m-a-i-l-m-a-n slash l-i-s-t-i-n-f-o slash a-n-n-o-u-n-c-e and type your email address and name where indicated. All blind musicians, all the time at the ACB Radio Cafe, www.acbradio.org slash C-A-F-E. ACB Radio Mainstream has blindness-related news you can use at www.acbradio.org slash M-A-I-N-S-T-R-E-A-M President's Message by Dan Spoon Aloha, ACB! Our friends of the Hawaii Association of the Blind, H-A-B, always welcomed us to their gatherings with a warm aloha. Aloha is a wonderful word that makes you feel welcome and also means hello and goodbye. It is with a very big aloha that we welcome in a new team of ACB officers. First Vice President, Mark Reichert, Arlington, Virginia. Second Vice President, Ray Campbell, Glen Ellen, Illinois. Secretary, Denise Colley, Lacey, Washington. Treasurer, Dave Trott, Talladega, Alabama. We also give a warm welcome to new board members Donna Brown of Romney, West Virginia, and new Board of Publications member Zelda Gebhard of Edgeley, North Dakota. We must say thank you to Mitch Pomerantz and John McCann, who will be stepping down from the Board of Directors. However, both will still play an active role in ACB, with Mitch continuing to serve as our World Blind Union, WBU, delegate, and as the first Vice President of the North America Caribbean region. John will serve as President of the Arizona Council of the Blind and as Vice Chair of ACB's Constitution and Bylaws Committee. We must give a huge hip-hip hooray to Kim Charlson for her outstanding accomplishments over the past six years as ACB President. Kim steered ACB into a new level of vitality with the promotion of Eric Bridges to the position of Executive Director. Kim and Eric have worked together with the support of the ACB Board to reach financial stability for our organization, implement a new strategic plan, launch a state-of-the-art website, acb.org, create new member communication channels with the ACB Advocacy Update podcast, Facebook Live broadcasts, 
and the new dots and dashes email blasts. We have a new energy in both our Alexandria and Minnesota offices with the hiring of Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Claire Stanley, Advocacy Specialist, Cindy Van Winkle, Membership Services Coordinator, Nicole Bido, Accountant and HR Specialist, and Nancy Christine Fila, Administrative Assistant. These new hires have brought energy and excitement to a growing and productive organization. This team looks forward to the challenge of growing our ACB membership, strengthening our affiliates, increasing our external partnerships, reimagining our organizational structure to improve efficiency and increase two-way communication. We will launch the Pilot Advisory Board in September, and I will visit both the Virginia and Minnesota offices to meet our staff. Aloha brings the thought of travel and transportation through the air, over the tracks, and across our nation's highways. ACB is playing a significant role in improving the lives of the blind and visually impaired community in all these transportation venues. Leslie and I had the wonderful opportunity to travel to Hawaii for their March convention, and we were frustrated to learn that there was no audio description with the in-flight video programs on our 12-hour Delta flight from Orlando to Honolulu. At this year's convention in Rochester, ACB had the opportunity to meet with Dana Folsom, Delta Airlines Disability Programs, on solutions to this issue. Dana has reached out to ACB leadership to request ongoing dialogue to meet the needs of our community. Two years ago, we took an Amtrak train from Orlando to Savannah to participate in the Georgia Council of the Blind Convention. It was a lovely trip, but there were no accessible menus in the restaurant car, and there were troubles accessing some of the common amenities. Claire Stanley and Clark Rockfall are now serving on the Amtrak Disability Working Group and are bringing these issues to Amtrak's leadership. Lastly, one of ACB's key legislative imperatives is to support the AV START Act to reduce red tape and streamline regulations to promote the development of autonomous vehicles, AV, that will be a major positive disruptor for automobile transportation across our country and around the world. Fred Schroeder, World Blind Union, WBU, President, shared in his Sunday morning comments at the Rochester Convention, The United Nations study estimates that over 253 million people worldwide have vision loss that prohibits driving, and this is a whole lot of new potential customers for the automobile industry. So whether your travels are through planes, trains, or automobiles, ACB is playing a role to improve your lives. Thank you for the opportunity of a lifetime to serve as your president. Together, we can make a difference. Let's Get Connected by Cindy Van Winkle, Membership Services Coordinator. Did you know that when you are a member of your local chapter or state or special interest affiliate, you are also a member of the American Council of the Blind, ACB? ACB spans over 70 state and special interest affiliates, each made up of numerous members, many of whom never make it to a national convention, listen to ACB radio, and possibly never even read our ACB publications. How can they learn of ACB and their part in this amazing organization? and what ACB is doing to promote, advocate, and ensure the rights of people who are blind, if they're not already connected. ACB is much bigger than just you or me. It's all of us. 
ACB is a community, an active, vibrant community. We need to make sure every member in ACB knows it, feels it, believes it, and wants to share it, because it's worth sharing. But what if you don't know it, feel it, or believe it yourself? Why would you share it? Hence, ACB has created the Membership Services Coordinator position. I am available Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, to answer your questions, provide resources, support you and your affiliate through challenges, assist in connecting and networking members and affiliates, do whatever I can to strengthen your individual understanding of ACB as well as your affiliate. I'm available outside of business hours, too. I can jump on a conference call for your board or membership committee, assist with leadership training, or give a presentation at your state or special interest affiliates convention. Bottom line, ACB is here for each member and each affiliate. So let's connect. Let's work together to build an even stronger ACB. Email me at cvanwinkle at acb.org or call me directly at 612-345-9036. ACB Board approves vision and core values statements, endorses constitutional amendment, looks at code of conduct policy draft by Deb Cook Lewis. ACB's Board of Directors met in Rochester, New York on July 5, 2019. President Kim Charlson called the meeting to order at 9 a.m. All officers and board members were in attendance. The agenda was adopted, and minutes of the February 23 board meeting were approved. The President's report began with a summary by Mitch Pomerantz of the World Blind Union meeting held May 31 in Trinidad. Two Caribbean nations have now joined the WBU. ACB was thanked for contributing funds to support participation of third world nations. Dan Spoon and Eric Bridges reported that four members have been confirmed to serve on the advisory board, with an additional member pending. These are external consulting resources who will be focused on marketing and development activities. Charlson described efforts ACB has made to contact the Virginia Association of the Blind. They have not submitted a membership list for certification since 2016 and have not responded to letters or calls. It has been confirmed that the organization no longer exists and has no bank account. Former members will be encouraged to either join the ACB of Virginia or join as members at large. A motion to revoke the Virginia Association of the Blind Charter was passed. Claire Stanley provided background on the diversity policy under development for ACB. As a member of the National Disability Leadership Alliance, ACB is developing a policy statement to express organizational values related to all aspects of diversity. A draft will be circulated to the board in September for discussion at the October meeting. It was encouraged that a member of the Multicultural Affairs Committee be included in the working group for this policy. Charlson next reviewed the background leading up to the proposed Code of Conduct policy, which was introduced at the February meeting. John Huffman explained that a constitutional amendment is necessary to give the board the authority to adopt a Code of Conduct policy. He then read the proposed amendment. Charlson read the revised proposed policy, which has been under development since February, noting that no action can be taken on the policy unless the constitutional amendment passes. After discussion, a motion endorsing the proposed constitutional amendment passed unanimously. Charlson next introduced the proposed vision and core values statements, 
There was discussion which resulted in tweaks to the vision statement and reordering of the value statements. Motions to adopt the vision statement and core values as amended passed. A motion to adopt the President's report passed. Following the break, Charlson acknowledged the J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows attending the meeting. Eric Bridges reported that the office update in Alexandria is completed and helps to create a professional and welcoming environment. The Smithsonian Natural History Museum has reached out to ACB for technical assistance with their app. Claire Stanley will be featured in an upcoming video series about guide dogs, and Eric was interviewed for a documentary on digital accessibility. Eric also participated in two panels at the M Enabling Summit and has maintained a hectic and productive travel schedule. Eric completed his report by introducing Cindy Van Winkle, who was hired in June as the new Membership Services Coordinator. Cindy described her preliminary activities, which include a survey for affiliate leaders to determine their needs. Nancy Becker said that the audit went smoothly this year. Changes in the affiliate membership management system now allow a member's local chapter to be entered into the database. Members-only convention pre-registration opened five days before general registration. 310 registered and one tour sold out on the first day. Nancy introduced Nicole and Nancy Christine and described the contributions they make to the team. She next explained a proposed change to the legacy fund policy, which would establish an ACB budget spending policy. A motion to adopt the policy revision was passed. Finally, Nancy reported that ACB has now met all requirements for BBB wise giving, which is like getting the good housekeeping seal of approval for charitable organizations. Michael Garrett reported that ACBES is doing well with progress at both thrift stores, which are under new management. Nancy commended Nicole's work in hiring and supporting the new managers. In her editor's report, Sharon Lovering described how she works with various ACB committees and the Board of Publications. Circulation of ACB's magazines has remained about the same overall, with email continuing to rise in popularity. Perkins continues to manage the cartridge distribution. People have been contacted if they have not returned cartridges after three issues. Tom Tobin and Joe Lynn Bailey Page summarized ACB's development and grant writing activities, including Direct Mail Appeal, ACB Angel Memorial Tribute Program, Annual Giving Societies, and Management of Foundation Relationships. The development team meets on a regular basis and continues to work closely with the marketing and communications team. Eric also acknowledged JoLynn's work with the Uni Description Project, which is providing audio description of national park brochures through an app. Larry Turnbull reported that ACB Radio listener counts continue to increase. ACB Radio hosted the Candidates Forum using the Zoom Meetings platform again this year. Jeff Bishop explained that the licensing provider for CAFE and Interactive is no longer in business. It is anticipated that licensing costs will be significantly higher, and Jeff is developing a proposal to combine and refocus ACB Radio Interactive and the CAFE. The meeting was recessed for lunch, and the board convened in executive session. A motion to defer the request of the Colorado Council of the Visually Impaired and Blind for affiliation with ACB to the October board meeting with provisions for technical assistance passed. Clark Rockfall updated the board on ACB's advocacy initiatives, including 
autonomous vehicles, accessibility of durable medical equipment, Medicare low vision device demonstration, service animals on airlines and other transportation issues, definition of competitive employment, technology and web access issues, and absentee voting. Clark and Claire are regularly producing the Advocacy Update podcast to inform members and raise public awareness. The staff reports were accepted by the board. Treasurer David Trott reviewed the year-to-date financials, investments, and budget report in detail. His report was adopted. Janet Dickelman reported that 721 people were pre-registered for convention, which is higher than pre-registration for St. Louis, Minneapolis, and Reno. She has received and confirmed reports that the Hyatt has limited the restaurant menu, and she has advised them that this is unacceptable and discriminatory. The 2020 convention will be in Schaumburg, Illinois, from July 3 to 10. The 2021 convention will be held in Phoenix, Arizona, from July 23 to 30. Janet's report was accepted. Deb Cook-Lewis reported that the Board of Publications Editorial Policy Manual was totally rewritten to reflect the BOP's collaboration with other committees and groups within ACB, as well as modernizing the language to be consistent and readable. The candidates' forum was again held as an online forum prior to convention. There will be an informal town hall meeting at convention. The Writers' Workshop will feature a panel presentation on how to access ACB and other publications. The ACB Braille Forum and eForum will continue to have themed issues. Deb thanked Kim Charlson and Sharon Lovering for their ongoing support and noted the significant contributions of Ron Brooks as chair of the BOP. The BOP report was accepted. The rest of the meeting was spent acknowledging Kim Charlson for her service as president, along with kudos for Mitch Pomerantz and John McCann, who are leaving the board. Everyone contributed to this conversation with enthusiasm and fervor. With no further business, the board meeting adjourned at 4.15 p.m. Looking Back at Rochester and Ahead to Schaumburg by Janet Dickelman The 2019 ACB Conference and Convention in Rochester, New York, was a resounding success. The staffs at the Convention Center, the Hyatt, and Riverside were very helpful and friendly. We had wonderful volunteers. I'd especially like to thank J.W. for sending us volunteers from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. and for the Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired, ABVI, for sending a number of their staff. The host committee, chaired by Lori Scharf, did a great job obtaining entertainment, clergy, local exhibitors, items for registration bags, and whatever else was asked of them. It gives me great pleasure to acknowledge the convention committee, Marjorie, Sally, Danielle, Rick, Michael, Rhonda, and Vicky. You handle your duties independently and efficiently. You make my life so much easier. A huge thank you to the Minneapolis staff, Nancy, Nancy Christine, Nicole, and Lane. As always, you were extremely helpful performing many convention-related tasks. To those of you who participated in the convention, either in person or via ACB radio, thank you for your support and feedback. Looking ahead to 2020. Next year's convention will be held in Schaumburg, Illinois, at the Renaissance Hotel, from Friday, July 3rd through Friday, July 10th. The opening general session will be Saturday evening, July 4th. 
daily general sessions will be held Sunday through Wednesday mornings, and our final general session will be Thursday, July 9th. The exhibit hall will be open Saturday, July 4th through Wednesday, July 8th. We will have all-day tours on Friday, July 3rd and Friday, July 10th, with many other tours throughout the convention. Specific tours have not yet been determined. Special interest affiliates, ACB committees, and our business partners will hold sessions Saturday, July 4th through Wednesday, July 8th. Our banquet will be held Thursday evening, July 9th. Hotel details and information about traveling to Schaumburg will be provided in my next article. Staying in touch. If you received updates for the 2019 convention, you do not need to resubscribe to the convention announce list. If you have not been on the convention announce list, send a blank email to acbconventionsubscribe at acblists.org. Convention Contacts 2020 Exhibit Information Michael Smitherman, 601-331-7740 AMDUO at BELLSOUTH dot NET 2020 Advertising and Sponsorships Margarine Beeman, 512-921-1625 OLEO 50 at H-O-T-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. For any other convention-related questions, please contact Janet Dickelman at 651-428-5059 or via email J-A-N-E-T dot D-I-C-K-E-L-M-A-N at G-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. Hope to see you in Schaumburg. Mega News from the Mini Mall by Carla Rushevel. The Mini Mall was bigger than ever at the ACB conference and convention in Rochester. Lots of customers and over $21,000 in sales combined to make this another banner year for the Mini Mall. To all who shopped at the Mini Mall, thank you, thank you, thank you. And thanks to the Mini Mall committee and volunteers who gave hours and hours of time to make it all happen. You were awesome. 2019 mini-mall workers in Rochester included Carrie Bishop, Washington, Patty and David Cox, Kentucky, Mary Ellen Frost, Maine, Samantha Hubbard, Kentucky, Cindy Laban, Maryland, D.J. McIntyre, Georgia, Debbie Persons, Kentucky, Adam and Carla Rushevel, Kentucky, Amanda Selm, Kentucky, Nancy Shadeg, Minnesota, Shirley Stivers, Kentucky, and Vicki Vote, Massachusetts. Fran Sign, Pennsylvania, George Holliday, Pennsylvania, and Linda Yaks, Arkansas, played major roles on the Mini Mall Committee in the planning process throughout the year. Thanks to Michael Smitherman, ACB Exhibit Coordinator, for his tremendous help and support. To Sharon Lovering, for including our Mini Mall announcements in the newspaper. To Janet Dickelman, ACB Convention Coordinator, for her usual amazing support and to the ACB Minneapolis office staff for their support throughout the entire year. Tip for chapters. Several popular ACB logo items are available at special chapter discounts. Use them as quick fundraisers at your state convention or around the holidays. 
Call us at 877-630-7190 for more info. New products. New items introduced at convention include water-resistant jackets for men and women, caps, Bluetooth speakers that charge your phone, wireless earbuds, cord and cable tamers, 30-ounce steel tumblers, phone wallets, plaid tote bags, padded tablet bags, and duffel bags, all with the ACB logo. Shipping Reminders Shipping is free on orders of $50 or more of eligible items. Canes ship via free matter for the blind. Shipping is charged on all Gateway to Success and Picture the Future items from our ACB Treasures shop at www.cafepress.com slash ACBTREASURES. Updated Braille and large print price lists are in the mail to those who have previously requested catalogs in those formats. A new catalog will be published with the October eForum and included on the November cartridge. Braille and large print formats will be available. For more information, visit the Mini-Mall online at mall.acb.org or join our email list by sending a blank message to mall-subscribe at acblists.org. You may also email the mini-mall at mall at acb.org or call us at 877-630-7190. Walmart and Sam's Club set standard for providing accessible prescription labels across U.S. To read this press release in its entirety, go to tinyurl.com slash y62lxzkm. Bentonville, Arkansas, July 18, 2019. Walmart and Sam's Club are deeply committed to accessibility and medication safety for their blind, visually impaired, and print-impaired pharmacy patients. To enhance their commitment, Walmart and Sam's Club pharmacies provide Envision America's Script Talk Audible, i.e. talking, prescription labels at Walmart and Sam's Club pharmacies across the United States. Since 2012, Walmart and Sam's Club have equipped almost 1,200 of their pharmacies to provide script talk, audible prescription labels, at a patient's request. More than 750 pharmacies have been equipped in just the past three years, with 25 additional Walmart and Sam's Club pharmacies, on average, set up to provide script talk labels each month. The American Council of the Blind is excited Walmart and Sam's Club are showing their dedication to the safety and accessibility for the visually impaired through script talk availability, setting an important standard in accessibility in healthcare. Our relationship with Walmart has flourished over the years, and we look forward to continued growth, says Eric Bridges, Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind. Walmart and Sam's Club equip a pharmacy to provide script talk upon a single patient's request for audible prescription labels. Once a pharmacy is equipped, usually within seven to ten days, the pharmacy provides script talk labels to patients requesting them at no charge and without lengthy delays. The script talk system is important to providing convenient and safe health care for our customers, 
said Joanne Stevens, Senior Director of Health and Wellness Compliance at Walmart. We are proud this technology is available at Walmart and Sam's Club locations across the nation, and we look forward to adding more locations as patients ask for this free service at their local Walmart or Sam's Club pharmacy. This service is free and available at all U.S. locations upon request. The ScriptTalk labeling system, the industry leader in audible prescription labels, was developed by Envision America. To provide ScriptTalk labels to their patients, the pharmacy places a RFID label on the bottom of a patient's prescription bottle. The patient then places the bottle on a small, battery-operated device called a ScriptTalk station, which is provided at no charge to the patient. The ScriptTalk station reads the prescription information out loud to the patient, including patient name, prescription number, drug name, dosage, use instructions, warnings, educational leaflets, and pharmacy information. We already have almost 1,200 Walmart stores and Sam's Clubs offering the ScriptTalk system, says Amanda Tolson, a director of Envision America, maker of the ScriptTalk system. Walmart is a leader in disability rights, and we're pleased to grow our partnership to benefit the visually impaired community. ACB Radio Holiday Auction The Fun Begins by Carla Rushevel. Fall is almost here, and planning has begun for the 8th annual ACB Holiday Auction. This year's extravaganza promises to be a full evening of bidding and smiles and fun, fun, fun. The 2018 Holiday Auction was a huge success. Packed with holiday treats and great gift ideas, the auction raised over $13,000 for ACB Radio. For the first time in the history of the auction, participants were actually on the air bidding in real time because we utilized the Zoom platform for the auction. Such excitement, such fun. The Holiday Auction Committee, ACB Radio, the Radio Storm, and the Kentucky-based broadcast team, and the ACB Minneapolis staff, are gearing up to bring you a wonderful shopping experience and the perfect opportunity to support ACB Radio. We need your help now in order to make the 2019 auction an even bigger success. Individuals, chapters and affiliates, and businesses are invited to contribute items to the holiday auction. Some examples of popular items include candy, cookies and other holiday treats, jewelry, technology, handcrafted items, music boxes and collectibles, gift cards, and holiday decor. Join our 2019 Holiday Parade of Affiliates and Chapters by contributing a food or other item traditional to your area. All items donated to the holiday auction will be displayed on our auction preview page on the ACB website. All donors will be acknowledged both on the website and on ACB radio during the auction. Donors and winning bidders will also be spotlighted in the ACB Braille Forum in early 2020. Notify us right away that you plan to donate items to the auction. Share a description of each item with us so we can begin creating the auction preview page. Important changes. The deadline for submitting items is earlier this year. Send all items, except homemade goodies, to us by October 10. This will allow us to take photos, finalize the descriptions, and post your items on the ACB website. The address to which items are to be sent has changed. Please do not send items to the Minneapolis office. All items should be sent to Carla Rushevel, ACB Holiday Auction, 148 Vernon Avenue, 
Louisville, Kentucky, 40206. For more information about the holiday auction and how to contribute items, contact Carla Rushevel at 502-897-1472 or carla40206 at gmail.com. Thanks in advance for your generous support of ACB Radio. Transportation. The Journey Continues by Ron Brooks Editor's Note Ron Brooks is a longtime member of the ACB, chairman of the Transportation Committee, and a 25-year veteran of the public transportation industry. Check out his transportation blog, Accessible Avenue, located at A-C-C-E-S-S-I-B-L-E-A-V-E-N-U-E dot W-O-R-D P-R-E-S-S dot C-O-M. End of note. Transportation has always been one of the most vexing challenges facing people who are blind or visually impaired. In fact, when blind people are asked about the biggest challenges they face, transportation usually ranks first or second, just ahead of, or just behind, employment. And is it any wonder? America is a big country, and despite the best efforts of many, the car is king. Cities, suburbs, and towns are traversed by networks of wide and largely inaccessible roadways and streets. Sidewalks are often inadequate at best, and non-existent at worst. Everything from traffic laws to traffic management infrastructure favors the unimpeded movement of cars, trucks, and buses. And pedestrians are often little more than an afterthought. And what of the culture? Listen to almost any radio station or watch almost any sporting event on television. Every third commercial is for the latest and greatest cars, trucks, and sport utility vehicles Detroit, the Germans, the Koreans, and the Japanese have to offer. Finally, from the time they turn 16 years old, American teenagers are indoctrinated about one of the few rites of passage still alive in America, the right to drive. So where does the American obsession for the car leave blind people? Well, that's simple. It leaves us standing on the curb. And that curb is getting crowded. In addition to a growing number of millennials who are not as interested in driving as their parents were, there are a myriad of personal mobility devices littering the sidewalks, including electric scooters, bikes for rent, hoverboards, and everything in between. For the most part, these devices are completely inaccessible to blind travelers. Worse, they block the sidewalks and make excellent tripping hazards. But it is not all doom and gloom. There is good old-fashioned public transit and paratransit. To quote a 1970 Volkswagen ad, It's ugly but dependable. But wait, there's more. There's a growing number of rideshare companies like Uber and Lyft. There is an array of evolving transportation products, including microtransit, first and last mile transportation systems, community circulators, a growing number of streetcar, light rail, and commuter rail services, and there are self-driving cars coming to a street near you. So with all of these challenges and changes coming to the transportation environment, it seems like a good time to stop and take stock. What are the transportation-related challenges we face? What opportunities do we have to address them? 
How do we get our fellow ACB members, chapters, and affiliates involved in helping us to solve these complex challenges? At the 2019 ACB Conference and Convention, the organization adopted Resolution 2019-14, which, among other things, called on the ACB to develop a comprehensive advocacy platform regarding transportation for people who are blind or visually impaired. This effort will be led by the ACB's Transportation Committee and will involve many stakeholders, including ACB leaders and members, state and special interest affiliates, and local chapters, to name a few. We will be conducting online dialogues, a workshop at our 2020 ACB conference and convention, topic-specific webinars, and perhaps other events, all with a single focus, to build an exciting vision for where transportation should take us in this country and the tools we can use to get there. As for this edition of the ACB Braille Forum, it represents our first step on this exciting and important journey. So fasten your seatbelts, and let's get going. A Committee for All Things Transportation and Mobility by Barbara Salisbury Editor's Note Barbara Salisbury is the President of ACB of Indiana. She resides in Bloomington, Indiana. End of note. The Transportation and Mobility Committee is an advisory committee of the Community Council for Accessibility, the City of Bloomington's advisory body on issues of accessibility and disability. As chair, I'm privileged to work with representatives from various organizations, including Stonebelt ARC, Bloomington Public Transit Corporation, Indiana Institute on Disability and Community at Indiana University and a member of USEDD, City Liaison for Committee Support and Project Facilitation, ACB members, and other community advocates. We actively offer advisement on bicycle and scooter ordinances, pedestrian development, and most recently assisted Bloomington Transit in developing a more comprehensive tool for conducting bus stop assessments. We worked collaboratively with the transit company in visiting some of these bus stops to demonstrate what is truly critical for accessibility and how the assessment tool might be enhanced to allow for these accessibility issues. Additionally, we just organized and held a two-part event to explore how ride-sharing is being used in other communities to expand and enhance transportation for people with disabilities, and a workshop to train people with disabilities on how to utilize ride-share options. As a college town, ride-sharing opportunities are all around us, but the committee recognizes that the disability community as a whole is not utilizing these services to their full potential. Partnering with the National Center for Mobility Management, NCMM, and with the support of the city's liaison with our committee, and with funding through a grant from ADA Indiana, we planned and presented this event which took place in May of this year at the Bloomington Convention Center. We held a luncheon, by invitation only, for community policymakers, transportation planners and providers, and key community advocates. There were about 45 in all that attended the luncheon. Our presenter was Judy Shanley with NCMM. Judy outlined how ride-sharing is being used in other communities to expand the traditional options of transportation, particularly paratransit, and we started a dialogue as to what these creative options might look like for Bloomington and the surrounding area. The second part of our event, immediately following our luncheon, was a training workshop for people with disabilities and how to use rideshare services. 
we formed a panel comprised of an Uber Lyft driver and regular rideshare customers from our local ACB chapter, Heartland Association of ACB. Judy Shanley also presented briefly at this workshop. We brought in via Zoom Malcolm Glenn with Uber to answer questions specific to his company and the ride-sharing industry. The workshop was attended by approximately 40 people representing the cross-disability community. There were nine people from the Heartland ACB chapter who participated, some as experienced users and others wanting to learn more. In follow-up to the workshop, we are piloting a first-time rideshare customer, Buddy Ride. We will conduct a short training session for those that will provide hands-on assistance and be that first-time customer's ride buddy. These companions will assist in making that first Uber or Lyft contact and accompany that first-time customer on their maiden voyage. We are providing rideshare gift cards to the new customer of $50 each and are compensating the ride buddies with a stipend. Included in this pilot will be 15 new customers from a cross-section of disability in our community and will include seniors who can no longer drive. Finally, we will conduct evaluations to measure the success of our pilot and track the ride participants over a three- to four-month period to see if they continue to use ride-sharing options for their personal transportation. And if not, for what reasons did they discontinue using these services? We will use the information gathered from the evaluations and follow-up interviews as we continue our conversation with our policymakers, transportation planners and providers, and others as to how rideshare services might be used to expand or enhance the transportation options in our community. Sharing the Roads by Marcia J. Wick Hoping to beat the heat, I harnessed up my guide dog for an early morning walk. The forecast was for a record high of 96. Striding out, I felt a light breeze on my face and judged the temperature was still a pleasant 75 typical for a summer day in Colorado. Facing west, we headed out with the rising sun at our backs. Without slowing our pace, we entered an underground pedestrian walkway and emerged from the cool, dark passageway onto a wide trail in full sun. I was glad we had set out early, as the temperature already felt five degrees warmer than when we had started. I stretched my legs to the brisk gait of my guide dog, counting steps to clear my head. The night before, I had attended a contentious community meeting about public transportation. Folks from a historic neighborhood had banded together to ban buses along a 12-block stretch of road in front of their stately homes. I was demoralized as tough-talking homeowners claimed that noisy and dangerous buses brought down the value of their properties. We live in a fast-growing, sprawling city with a fixed-route bus system that hasn't improved much in 50 years. In the early 70s, my family lived in the old North End neighborhood, and I hopped on the bus daily to attend my high school downtown. That school is long gone. The city's population has since swelled to a half million. North Middle School is now in the center of town. The old North End homes are surrounded by businesses. The neighborhood stands proud and tries to defend its perimeter from progress. I get it. I understand the importance of historic preservation, but the road that bisects this neighborhood was once a state highway, and for decades has served as a major north-south artery for motorists seeking a direct route downtown. 
more and more cars with only one passenger clog the roadway during busy commute hours. Removing a bus filled with passengers every 15 minutes from the line of vehicles wouldn't do much to cut down on the volume of traffic, I thought. Perhaps automobiles should be rerouted, rather than buses along this corridor. My mind grappled with the issue until my ringing cell phone brought my thoughts back to the present. I halted my dog and stepped to the side of the trail to take the call. A fellow transit advocate was phoning to discuss the meeting and talk about ways to find common ground with our transit-reluctant neighbors. Focused on my phone call, I jumped when a bicycle screeched past, veering at the last second to avoid hitting us. The cyclist shouted, You idiot! as she wheeled by. I interrupted my phone call and yelled at the back of the cyclist, We could talk if you'd stop. There was no reply. She was pedaling so fast she wasn't likely to hear me bellowing, although she continued to rant at me as she sped down the hill. I felt an initial twinge of guilt for being on my phone on the trail at the moment of the encounter. Then it occurred to me that the cyclist could have seen me and my guide dog from a good distance before she blasted by without warning. The downhill traveler is expected to yield to an uphill walker or cyclist. Turning back to my phone, I heard my friend expressing concern for my welfare. I was shaken by my near encounter with the cyclist and agitated by the bus debate. Sharing the roads or sharing the trails, it seemed like everyone thought they owned the road to the exclusion of others. The mood of my day had been spoiled by elitist neighbors and an angry cyclist. I considered turning around and shrinking back to the safety and shelter of my home. Just then, Vivienne nudged my hand with her wet nose, demonstrating the patience only a well-trained service animal could manage. For her, our mission hadn't changed. My guide's commitment to walk with me was unfazed. She stood ready to move ahead at my command. In fact, she seemed anxious to get us back on track and prevent me from turning around. Urging forward, we continued uphill. My guide's determination to remain focused filled me with new resolve. Despite the rising heat, we resumed our familiar pace and soon crested the hill to be rewarded with a cool breeze and the view of the colorful mountains ahead. V.W. Bug to the Rescue by Dr. Ronald E. Milliman It seemed like one of the longest days of my life. I was in the insurance, securities, and real estate business, and my office was in East Lansing, directly across Michigan Avenue from Michigan State University. My morning started like any other day. I walked to the bus stop, about a mile from my home in Lansing, to catch the bus to my office. I had eight appointments scheduled throughout the day, one after another from 9 a.m. until about 8.30 p.m., with no breaks for lunch or dinner. The first appointment didn't show up. Neither did the second, or the third, nor the fourth. Out of the eight appointments, not a single one showed up. I was frustrated, upset, befuddled, and yes, a little angry. I was also tired and hungry. The only times I had gone out of the office were to take my guide dog, Holly, out for her breaks. I observed it was snowing and each time I noticed it was snowing a little harder. But I didn't think too much about it. After all, this was Michigan. What do you expect in Michigan in the middle of the winter? By nine o'clock that night, 
I realized that my last appointment wasn't going to show up either, and it was time to call it a day. That's when it all began. When Holly and I went downstairs to leave the building, I couldn't get the door open. I pushed against it, and it moved a little, but that was it. Holly just laid down, which she had never done before, as if to say, You go ahead, I'm fine right here, nice and warm and cozy. So I put my shoulder to the door, and with all my force, I was able to get it open wide enough to leave the building and fall right into a big snowbank. The snow had intensified into a full-blown snowstorm. The wind had blown the snow up against the door, making it almost impossible to open. I tugged on Holly's leash and said, Come on, Holly, we have to try to find our way to the bus stop. Try was the key word. Fortunately, we didn't have too far to go. I couldn't tell where the sidewalk was, and neither could Holly. So I stepped off the curb, and Holly and I walked the block and a half following the curb along the edge of the street until we got to the bus stop. We waited and waited. After a while, a lady showed up. She said she was the owner of the little restaurant around the corner. She told me that she'd heard on the radio that because of the snowstorm, everything in the city had come to a halt, including the taxicabs. The buses were running limited schedules, and they were all behind schedule. And it was still snowing quite hard. After nearly 45 minutes, the bus finally showed up, and Holly and I were able to make it down to where we normally got off to walk the rest of the way home. Whoa! Walk the rest of the way home? We had a challenging time just walking the short distance from my office to the bus stop. Walking from where we got off the bus back to my house was almost unthinkable. But what choice did we have? So, we started walking. I wasn't at all sure where we were, and I could tell that Holly didn't know either. We had traversed that route many, many times, but never under such impossible conditions. We were simply wandering around, trying our best to follow the street curbs and whatever we could use as cues. Holly, stop. I think I hear a car coming, I said. It had that distinct sound. It was a VW bug. It slowed down, and I heard a window being rolled down and a voice asking, Hey, fellow, do you need some help? I said to myself, Oh, God, thank you. I yelled back to the person in the VW, I sure do. He replied, Well, get in and tell me where you're trying to get to. Now, picture me and my nearly 100-pound German shepherd trying to climb into the very tight space of the front of a VW bug. Oh, I got in just fine. And most of Holly could get in, except for her tail. I wound up her tail so all of her was scrunched up into that limited space. As it turned out, the young fellow, Zack, probably saved us from wandering around in the snowstorm the rest of the night. He said that he was a senior at Michigan State University majoring in electrical engineering. The VW bug chugged its way along, slipping and sliding a little, but we finally got to my house on Dakin Street. I thanked Zack profusely for picking us up and rescuing us. Holly and I found our way up to the front porch and into the house. I removed Holly's harness, and she shook the wet snow off. I took my coat off, hung it up, and sat down on the couch with my head in my hands, saying to my wife, Honey, if I told you what happened today, you wouldn't believe it. I am not being overdramatic in saying 
God has answered my prayers, and Holly and I have never felt so glad to be home. Then I told her about the day's events, and how if it hadn't been for this young MSU student and his VW bug, we might not have made it home. It was that night, and that snowstorm, that caused my wife and me to decide to move from Michigan to Arizona, so I could attend graduate school at Arizona State University and pursue a new career. Self-Driving Cars and Date Night by Ron Brooks Recently, I attended an industry workshop where several employees from the self-driving car company Waymo and from Valley Metro, the transit agency where I work, gave a presentation about a pilot program we launched in 2018. The purpose of the two-year pilot is to test the effectiveness of self-driving cars for connecting people with transit. We began with a handful of employees. Then we opened the pilot to seniors and people with disabilities who reside in the area where Waymo operates. The goal of our pilot is to determine the extent to which self-driving cars are able to meet the more complex transportation needs of seniors and people with disabilities. At the end of the presentation, a number of audience members engaged with the panel in a spirited discussion about the readiness of the technology and about the fear some people have about self-driving cars. Several speakers stated that Waymo and other manufacturers should slow down until society can adapt to this new and scary reality. From my perspective, slowing down is exactly what we should not do. As a blind guy who does not drive and who has never driven, self-driving cars will be a dream come true on so many levels. First, as a lifelong pedestrian, I have been hit at least three times I can remember. Thankfully, None of these collisions were serious, and I was able to walk away with nothing more than bumps and bruises, a broken cane or two, and many moments of a racing heart and ringing in my ears. Unfortunately, this is not true for many other people who have been hit, injured, and killed by cars. Self-driving cars are not perfect, but according to National Highway and Traffic Safety Administration statistics, 94% of accidents are caused by human error, so I like the improving odds that come with automation. Second, if I need to run an errand that requires anything more than a walk or a ride on transit, I'm dependent on someone else. Whether it's paratransit, or a cab, or a lift, or even my daughter who just got her license, I'm dependent on someone. That means I have to factor in their availability, their time, and of course, in most cases, extra money. Third, and for me most important of all, there's date night. Everyone who has a spouse or a partner knows about date night. For my wife and me, date night is a critical strategy for staying together and for not braining our teenage kids. But since neither of us drive, it's something we have never, ever, not in 23 years of marriage and two years of dating before that, been able to do by ourselves. For me, Self-driving cars mean that I will finally be able to go out with my wife, just the two of us, just like most couples are able to do any time they are able to sneak away from the mayhem. For me, self-driving cars are not scary. It's the idea that I may be too old to enjoy date night before they come along that is scariest of all. Although I am excited about self-driving cars, many within the transit and disability communities are concerned that self-driving cars may leave people with disabilities behind due to a lack of accessibility. 
As one speaker put it, it's not the first mile that worries me, it's the first 10 feet. So how can we ensure that self-driving cars are sufficiently accessible for people with disabilities to summon, to locate when they do come, to board, to ride, and to enjoy? So far, the accessibility question is largely open. Most automated vehicle manufacturers, including Waymo, have not fully addressed the accessibility question, but all recognize the importance of accessibility, and they are working on solutions. In addition, they have a myriad of organizations, including the ACB, providing input and assistance on strategies for addressing accessibility. Personally, I am optimistic. Although none of us know how this technology will ultimately play out, I strongly believe that the technology will be accessible. First, those of us with disabilities who will depend on self-driving cars for our mobility will be able to summon a car with an accessible app. Then, when the car arrives, we will receive an accessible notification, just as is the case with a number of transportation apps today. Locating the car will be made easier by wayfinding features built into the app and or by features built into the car. Perhaps it will call to us, or maybe it will act like the cab drivers of old by honking its horn. The space within the car will include ample space for possessions, guide dogs, and ultimately for mobility devices perhaps by allowing seats to be flipped up with a button or automatically, based on user preferences specified within the app. There will be accessible controls for the radio and the climate control, and a help button that will link us to live assistance that can monitor our progress and assist remotely if needed. I think there is more uncertainty about what happens when we arrive at our destination, but I am confident that these challenges can and will be addressed as well. In conclusion, I'm confident that self-driving cars will work for people with disabilities. I am confident because I know the law. More importantly, the self-driving car manufacturers know the law, and they know that the country's 54 million people with disabilities, many of whom cannot drive, represent a gigantic market share for this rapidly evolving and exciting technology. So make way for self-driving cars, and if you're ever in Phoenix, and one passes you by on the street, that just might be me sitting there in the back seat holding my wife's hand. So dudes, blind and sighted alike, you can eat your hearts out. Access to Amtrak, Making America's Rails More Accessible by Claire Stanley The American Council of the Blind continues to engage in conversations with Amtrak. I, along with several other disability advocacy organizations, meet with Amtrak every three months to discuss what Amtrak is working on that impacts passengers with disabilities. The working group also acts as a platform for disability advocacy groups to bring up issues facing passengers with disabilities. At the last quarterly meeting, ACB brought to Amtrak's attention the fact that the website and mobile app did not allow blind individuals using screen readers to purchase tickets independently nor would the site allow blind users to scroll through the list of train arrivals and departures. Since that meeting, the problem has been corrected. ACB was able to directly connect people experiencing the accessibility issues with the programmers who had the ability to remedy the problem. A significant result of these meetings is that the designers, engineers, and computer scientists are right there in the room screening questions and concerns. 
The working group also includes designers and engineers who are developing new train models that will be produced and placed on the tracks in several years. It is an exciting time. Amtrak is creating all new designs of future train cars. As the new models are discussed, the disability advocacy groups are able to talk about accessibility design issues that will either benefit or hinder disabled passengers. ACB has been able to talk about design details that will benefit the blind and visually impaired community, such as the presence of audible announcements, as well as large print and braille signage. Please let ACB know of any accessibility functions you believe would be beneficial or necessary in future train models. One ongoing concern is the inability to purchase a discounted disability ticket from the website. In order to receive a ticket with that discount, passengers have to call in to the operated phone line. The phone line experiences heavy traffic, and passengers can be placed on hold for extended periods of time. ACP has brought this concern to Amtrak management's attention multiple times. Amtrak is aware of this concern. It will be fixed sometime this year. They explained that website changes are rolled out over time, and this change is in queue to be rolled out. We are also in the process of scheduling a meeting with Amtrak to discuss emergency response procedures for disabled passengers. Amtrak has a series of practices and procedures when evacuating a train during an emergency. However, these procedures may need to be modified for people with disabilities. We will discuss these concerns at our meeting. In addition to the quarterly meetings, ACB has direct access to Amtrak's ADA coordinator. If ACB members experience accessibility problems while at stations or on trains, please let Claire Stanley and or Clark Rockfall know by emailing them at advocacy at acb.org. Transit Tales Below is a compilation of short stories about transit woes and foibles from across the country. Moses parts the light rail traffic. After a long day spent at OHSU's KCI Institute in Portland, Oregon, I made my way to the downtown transit hub. I was catching the light rail to Beaverton, a 40-minute trip, to catch yet another light rail to connect with the regional bus that would take me back into Salem to catch another bus home. It does make for a long day, but I'm proud of my ability to travel independently. It was about five o'clock. I was waiting at a platform when a man came up beside me and asked if I wanted some help boarding. I thanked him and commented, I do this all the time. I heard the train approaching. As it pulled to a stop, the man said, Oh, there's stairs. I replied, Oh, shoot. I didn't actually say shoot. Some of the older cars have steep, tall steps, and during rush hour, people pack them. But there are low-floor cars to the back. This gentleman said, Grab my arm. We're going to move. We rushed toward the back of the train, and he led me to the door of a packed car. As we got on, he said, in a very loud, commanding voice, I need a seat for this lady. Apparently, his name is Moses. The Red Sea of people parted, and I was led to a seat that was made available. As I was getting seated, I turned to thank him and realized that he was already gone. He was not waiting for the max. He was just offering me help. He is my proof of the generosity of the human spirit. Marja Byers
DC's finest assist writer. There was the time when I got lost trying to get to a DC hotel, where I would be meeting people for dinner. When I asked for assistance from a couple of voices, sound ceased. How about we give you a ride? A male voice suggested. And when I wasn't sure, they said, Relax, we're policemen. So I got to the hotel in a police car, much to the amusement of those I would be having dinner with. Peter Altschul The Carry-On Bag When flying with a guide dog, it's always a good idea to pre-board. My teenage daughter and I hurried aboard and took our seats. My black Labrador, Gentry, was an experienced traveler by the time of the ACB convention in Tulsa. He dove into the row where our middle and window seats were located. He expertly wedged his front half under the seat of the row in front of the window seat. I removed my shoes, placing them in the seat pocket. I rested my stocking-clad feet on his back. The stewardess came to check that we were properly buckled in before beginning the process of loading the rest of her passengers. All she could see was the black mass and what she mistook for a rolling suitcase handle under my feet. She asked if I would like her to place that bag in the overhead bin, since it was interfering with my foot space. I replied, I doubt you could lift a 95-pound black Labrador up that high, and then it would be awkward to request that passengers be careful when opening the overhead bins, as the guide dog might have moved. It is true that traveling with a guide dog can pose logistical problems with weight restrictions on luggage, but a well-trained guide dog does fit along the fuselage, parallel to the wall, without infringing on other passengers' legroom. Deanna Quietwater Noriega Only at an ACB convention It was Saturday morning, July 13th. I had just checked out of the hotel and was waiting for the shuttle to get to the airport. I had asked about the shuttle when I checked out, and the lady at the front desk assured me that it was on the way. Half an hour later, I wasn't so sure. People were grumbling about missing their flights and calling Lyft, Uber, and the local taxi service. I was standing next to Donna Seliger, who noticed all the hubbub. Moments later, she contacted Uber and asked if I wanted to share the ride. I said, sure. A few minutes later, a silver Camry pulled up. The driver got out, and he loaded Donna's luggage in the trunk. My big purple suitcase ended up in the back seat with Donna, and I took the front seat. I noticed that both of us were having trouble understanding the driver. A moment later, it hit me. The driver was deaf. I'd noticed his hands moving as we got in, but it hadn't registered until then. As we got closer to the airport, I realized he'd need to know about our airlines. So I asked Donna which airline she was on, and she told me. About two minutes later, he asked the airline question. I was able to fingerspell the names of our airlines for him. We reached American first, and he started unloading Donna's luggage. I caught his attention and said and signed, No, shook my head, and pointed at the car. He reloaded Donna's bags, grabbed my big suitcase, and brought it over to me. I smiled and said thanks, and waved goodbye as the Uber continued down the road. Sharon Lovering Affiliate News Pennsylvania Welcomes You Peers' Challenging Beliefs is the theme for the 2019 PCB Conference and Convention. Pennsylvania invites you to join us for a weekend of dynamic presentations, fun activities, important business, 
and nonstop fellowship. The conference will take place Thursday, October 17, through Sunday, October 20, at the Crown Plaza, Harrisburg, Hershey, 23 South 2nd Street, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17101. For reservations, call 717-234-5021 before September 15. We plan to stream most of the conference on ACB Radio. The schedule is available on our website, pcb1.org. Click on the PCB Conference link at the top of the page. For more conference information, follow us on Facebook using P-A-C-O-U-N-C-I-L-O-F-T-H-E-B-L-I-N-D or on Twitter using at PCB underscore A-D-V-O-C-A-T-E. Highlights of the weekend will include Thursday night's after-session game, Believe or Bust, Friday morning's choice of the audio darts competition, the audio-described movie, or the exhibit hall, Friday afternoon's three breakout topics, social media basics, an introduction to Accessidoc's DAISY 3 conversion process, and sharing real-life experiences of challenging beliefs. Friday night's live auction, where bidders can participate in person and from home. Saturday morning's amazing lineup of Peers Challenging Beliefs, Thomas Reed, audio producer of Read My Mind Radio, Kristen Smedley, author of Thriving Blind, Dr. Andre Watson, clinical psychologist and author of Vision in the Dark, and Stephanie McCoy, founder of Bold Blind Beauty and Captivating Magazine. Request your registration packet today by calling 1-877-617-7407 or send an email message to pcboffice at pcb1.org. ACB Officers President Dan Spoon, First Term, 2021 3924 Lake Mirage Boulevard, Orlando, Florida, 32817-1554. First Vice President, Mark Reichert, First Term, 2021. 1515 Jefferson Davis Highway, Apartment 622, Arlington, Virginia, 22202-3309. Second Vice President, Ray Campbell, First Term, 2021. 460 Rain Tree Court, Number 3K. Glen Ellen, Illinois, 60137. Secretary, Denise Colley, first term, 2021. 1401 Northwest Lane, Southeast, Lacey, Washington, 98503. Treasurer, David Trott, second term, 2021. 1018 East Street South, Talladega, Alabama, 35160. Immediate Past President, Kim Charlson, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. ACB Board of Directors, Jeff Bishop, Kirkland, Washington, first term, 2020. Donna Brown, Romney, West Virginia, partial term, 2020. Sarah Conrad, Madison, Wisconsin, second term, 2020. Dan Dillon, Hermitage, Tennessee, First Term 2020. Katie Frederick, Worthington, Ohio, Second Term 2022. James Crott, 
Miami, Florida, first term, 2022. Doug Powell, Falls Church, Virginia, first term, 2020. Patrick Sheehan, Silver Spring, Maryland, second term, 2022. Michael Talley, Hueytown, Alabama, first term, 2022. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California, first term, 2022. ACB Board of Publications. Debbie Lewis, Chair, Clarkston, Washington, second term, 2020. Paul Edwards, Miami, Florida, second term, 2020. Zelda Gebhardt, Edgeley, North Dakota, partial term, 2020. Susan Glass, Saratoga, California, third term, 2021. Penny Reeder, Montgomery Village, Maryland, first term, 2020. Accessing your ACB Braille and eForums. The ACB eForum may be accessed by email, on the ACB website, via download from the webpage, in Word, plain text, or Braille-ready file, or by phone at 605-475-8154. To subscribe to the email version, visit the ACB email lists page at www.acb.org. The ACB Braille Forum is available by mail in Braille, large print, NLS-style digital cartridge, and via email. It is also available to read or download from ACB's webpage and by phone, 605-475-8154. Subscribe to the podcast versions from your second-generation Victor Reader Stream or from www.acb.org/bf/.